Welcome everyone to I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist and today we are super excited and still riding the high I think a bit from uh, Frank Schaefer last week, Troy, but wasn't that amazing? Yeah, that was really, really good. I, I, I want to stress that I'm not super excited. I'm moderately excited. Oh, seriously. I, I don't want to oversell the episode, do you know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's going to be good, don't get me wrong, but I'm just moderately excited about this one. Well, I don't think that's very Pentecostal of you because you have to be super excited yeah, because that's, that's how God blesses you. Yeah, praise the Lord. You're right. You're right. I need to I need to uh, check my commitment. You do. You do need to check your commitment. And what else do you need to do? You need to lean in. Lean in financially. I, I'm, I've, been, I've been leaning in financially really with my family for the last number of decades. And uh, it's, it's a good thing to do, lean in financially to your family. It is. Blessed be. Blessed be. Yes. I, I, I was thinking about the, you know, the let go and let God comment. Um, mm. I, I want to do that more as well in my life. You know, I actually miss that. I have to say, not the let go and let God as in, you know, let go and believe everything you're told. But one thing that I do miss about being religious was the ability to just say, everything's going to be all right. God's got it you know, and, and let go and let God. And in that sense, that was a kind of a cool thing about being religious. Yeah, you could live your life in denial. It was great. And then let the trauma sneak up on you and shazam, you're fucked. Okay, so what are we just going to swap positions this season, are we? I'm going to draw the good and you're going to be the cynical, depressed ass. I'm not I'm not depressed. I'm just a little bit sad. I, I, I came in... Super excited, and now look where you've taken me. And, and I ruined it. I, I made it moderate. Hey, so today's episode is going to be what we're calling our stories, right? So we did a lot of these in the last season about, well, really, I did a lot of these in last season about my story and talking about my experience, and we'll continue to do that. But we thought that what we'd do this season is every three or so episodes will be an Our Story episode where we will tell our stories. We will. We will tell our stories. And, uh, I mean, it's important. It's important to um, keep peppering these through because we do like to reflect on our experiences back then and compare them to the now as well. So all that stuff's important in contextualising what we're doing on the podcast. So we we do pride ourselves on the fact that we have experience in this space, so we like to reflect it. Yeah, and I was listening to a podcast with, uh, an interview with a guy who writes, excuse me, runs a podcast called Mormon Stories. And he was saying, and, and they're all progressive Mormons and ex-Mormons, and he was saying that it's really important to tell these stories and to hear these stories because people can resonate and it sort of validates their own experience. So not just our stories, but also bringing people in to tell their stories, of course, but the stories are really, really important because it's kind of like, you know, for want of a better term, there's a bit of narrative therapy going on for, for you and I, but at the same time, people can listen and, and resonate and say, yep, that's me. And, and, you know, and it validates them. So I think that these stories are very important. Plus, to be honest, I like to tell my story as well. I, I get something out of it you know, sort of getting it out there, processing it with you, my my therapist, and not having to pay. Uh, when I went to university, um, one of our lecturers um, wrote up on the board, therapist, and said, what do you see here? And we went, therapist. We see a word that says therapist. And she drew a line after T-H-E. And she goes, see, it's the rapist. 
That's what it is. It's the rapist. That's what the, the word means, to get in there and get... It's like, oh, my God, that's a very aggressive description of therapist. I am not that sort of therapist. But um, I'm a progressive Mormon. Does that mean they only have two wives rather than, like, four or five? Oh, no, no. That's fun- the hardcore fundamentalist Mormons, which broke away from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they still have multiple wives. The Mormons, as we know them, they secretly believe in multiple wives one day it'll all sort of come back to them but no progressive mormons are very much like progressive christians in that they don't believe all the doctrines anymore they're aware of their history and of the flaws in their religion and they're trying to bring about change but a lot of progressive mormons end up ex-mormons because once they start to speak out they get they get shunned and officially excommunicated etc but it was a really good interesting podcast and the interview with the guy was really interesting and it was the thing that I resonated with is how similar it is to what we're doing you know sort of fundamentalist Pentecostalism or fundamentalist megachurch his journey is the same and and as you know when we get to this part in my story Mormonism and studying Mormonism really led me away from Christianity ultimately as well yes it uh that's what happens when you start exploring things isn't it yeah that's right you start to to break things down yourself and deconstruct, I think is the the word that all the cool kids are using. And we're pretty cool, so we use it, deconstruct. So today's episode, I, I guess I want to pick up from leaving Great Big AOG and what was the next steps. And some of this is a, a little bit of a um, still involves Great Big AOG in some sort of way because I'm going to re- reflect on some of the difference of of when I left and what the next step I went to and just how incredibly progressive that I I felt. But now when I look back on it, it certainly wasn't that progressive, but it was comparatively, I think. Around that time, I, I think I remember uh, telling in the story that I'd been sussing out a Baptist church and it was one that you were going to. It was one that you were hanging out with and you, you talked about that youth pastor that took you and your then wife under their wing and um, this was a really great supportive place and we'd been dipping our toe in the water my ex-wife and I and just going preparing ourselves I think I don't don't know if we were consciously preparing ourselves to leave or this was something that helped us to I guess launch off so we'd been sussing that out and going along and I remember like the conversations that you and I used to have at that time about how progressive we found that and how freeing and you know how much more of a a supportive environment it was and I think that was definitely something that gave us the opportunity to um to launch off because we had a bit of a safety net yeah I don't know that we would have called it progressive though hey we would have called it more sort of just different you know because I don't think we use that word being progressive but remembering too the connections were still there because this charismatic Baptist, and let's refer to it now as Great Big Charismatic Baptist because it was great and big. That Charismatic Baptist was still connected to Great Big AOG in a sense because their youth pastor used to come and speak at our services and our youth pastor used to go and speak at theirs. So it wasn't much of a jump. I mean, it was. There was a lot of fundamental differences, but it wasn't a huge step. It wasn't completely radically different. It certainly wasn't a progressive church. They weren't challenging all those doctrines were they they it was still very much uh, an evangelical bapticostal kind of scene yeah it was a hundred percent bapticostal and I, I think that's why it was a softer landing um and it was definitely 
the size of it was something that sort of put me off because obviously great big AOG was great and big. Um, so for me, I think it was just finding that opportunity to to be able to launch off somewhere that gave that soft landing. We got married. And as I said, we, we'd moved a bit further away from Great Big AOG. We used it as a bit of an excuse to cut away. Um, we used it as an excuse to say we wanted to be connected into our local community. We wanted to be part of a, a local congregation, all that sort of stuff. You may remember in my story, I've been called a pew warmer, that I, I would just go and I'd be a lesser version of myself. I guess I wanted to be a lesser version of myself. So um, we made that launch and we ended up landing in this Baptist church, which was smaller. It was much smaller. It's probably only about 100 people. A lot of people around our age, obviously a, a few older people as well. So it felt like it was a, a fairly well-balanced community and it certainly wasn't Baptocostal. I think it was, they would have seen themselves as, a, a modernised Baptist. So it was a place where there was there was a band for for worship, but there wasn't... Um, there was no seat buckling. There, there was none of that. Was there seat buckling, like singing seat buckling in the worship time and stuff like that? No, there wasn't. There was, there was absolutely none of that. And it, it was very different. But that transitional period, I mean, I would find myself, um, you know, when the the worship music would come in and things would be slow and there'd be a bit of silent time that, you know, I would revert back to, you had to speak in tongues, but it was done very quietly and under my breath. So you, you could do it in a covert way, but it wasn't something that I guess was seen as needed. Do you reckon there were others doing that in the service as well? Were there others, others going, <laughs> there definitely were. I know, I know that for a fact because uh, once we'd been there for a bit longer, we did unpack some of that stuff a little bit more and talk about. Um, but it was done. It was done more in a home group setting, so rather than in the service. But definitely, people would have been doing that because there were there were tongue speaking people in that congregation, but it wasn't loud and crazy. I think that's Hillsong's model, by the way. Hillsong's model is that they do all the spiritual stuff in their home groups, but they keep it all very above board and respectable in their main services. Yeah, okay. That sort of seeker service style. That's what they called it back then, remember? Seeker services. I do remember that. Get them in, create a safe space where they're not going to go, what the fuck, these guys are crazy, and then introduce them, <laughs> introduce them to the craziness. But what it did do... Because uh, I spent so much time travelling in between home and Great Big AOG and all the things I was involved with, whether that was the church you know, a couple of times on a Sunday, youth on a Saturday, a home group during the week, and the other things that were associated with the church. I mean, I was saving probably 10 to 15 hours a week in travel. So I had all this time freed up as well. So not just travel, though, but also the actual time that you would spend at those events and those meetings. Yeah, 100%. Um, and, and when we went to this, this Baptist church, there wasn't that come. Actually, it didn't have two services on a Sunday. It had the morning. <sighs> Spiritual onces. Spiritual onces. Um, that's why they're all burning in hell. But it, <laughs> Jesus Christ, spiritual onces. <laughs> so, yeah, just, just in the morning, that was it. Um, there was nothing in the evening. There was no youth group, well, we were, we were really too old by it, 
this stage. We were 23, 24, somewhere around there. So there wasn't that opportunity to do that but we did we did settle ourselves into a home group because we saw that as a you know a bit of a support space as well so when you say we you're talking about yourself and your then wife were you married by then yeah 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 we were married and that's when we we took the launch i guess to to go to this new place using that excuse that we wanted to be part of a, a local community and so and so feeling free to hold this till later where was she with all this yeah, yeah, completely supportive. So she actually came from um, a uniting church background. So, oh, so she wasn't saved. She wasn't <laughs> saved until she got to Great Big AG. Oh, then she got saved, yeah, and started yeah. slapping people on the head during yeah Toronto. Yeah, exactly. Oh, praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah PTL. Yeah, so she, she was very supportive of it. Actually, it was something that... She was keen to do. We were both keen to to take that break, and it was hard because there was obviously a lot of people there that we were still close to. But interestingly, not long after we left, there was only a very very small group of those that we kept in contact with, because we were gone. And part of it at the time, I was like, "Oh fuck you! You know, you just you cut us off. It's almost like being excommunicated." But some of it, I think, was the fact that. They were so caught up in going to all the different events, all that travel time that we probably were. Because people may remember a saying from episodes way back that um, people would come from all over the city to go to this great big AG. You know, it, it was generally it wasn't a local community there. So I'm not sure people would have had time in their life for us outside of that because you, you're not in that bubble anymore. But I guess... A few of the things that I wanted to, and when I was preparing for this episode, there's a lot of uh, comparisons I started to to think about between Great Big AOG and this suburban Baptist church. The things that were notably ab- absent in the Baptist church was that ego, that arrogance that you quite often saw from the pulpit in Great Big AOG and other Penty spaces. It just wasn't there. The pulpit, you've spoken about the pulpit being guarded and that you've got to earn the right to speak at it. It wasn't like that. They would quite often just have people from the congregation getting up and delivering not even a sermon, just a talk, a message on a Sunday morning. So it was a lot more cruisy like that. Tongues were spoken about that. They weren't really on display. They were there. There was a definitely a use of them. People spoke about them, but it wasn't something that you were forced to do, asked to do. It wasn't you, your Christianity wasn't contingent on you speaking in tongues. Yeah, reserved for date night. Yes, that's right. Best use of tongues. Best use of tongues. Altar calls. Never saw one. Not not one. The, this was the thing that I think was evident. Most, when I reflected on it, was I didn't, after I left Great Big AAG, never saw another altar call in my entire journey, except when we did visit Penty churches when we were travelling at one stage. But um, that was it. That was... Is that um, because they didn't have a heart for the lost? Is that what was going on there? I'm just going to throw these cliches in for you, mate. All right. They didn't have a heart for the lost. Is that what was happening? So how would they get people saved brother well i i don't ever because you know the penty scene was very much about you've got to get them to pray the sinner's prayer that was the yeah, recipe raise your hand i see that hand yeah yeah absolutely i didn't see any of that and 
I I don't think that there were many efforts as such to to go out of the way to do that. It was done more organically. You didn't go out to witness to people. You didn't go out and street evangelise. Um, it was more incidentally. <laughs> That's shit. <laughs> How can you not? How can you call yourself a Christian and not have a street team? Give me a J. <laughs> yes, I. Uh, it, it was confronting at first, to be honest, but also so incredibly refreshing. And it was it was definitely part of my. It was very early in my deconstruction. I think when I saw things how they could operate. There was one event that they did try and put on semi-regularly, like bi-monthly, and it was sort of a little bit like a big youth service on steroids where you would have loud bands, you'd have contemporary music being played with the odd Christian song thrown in, but it was mainly contemporary music and popular as in music. Not, as in not Christian? Not not Christian at all, no. Wow. So, yeah, see, so again burning in hell the other thing you, you said that the event was bi-monthly i thought that might have been an lgbt affirming <laughs> event of some sort but no well you know what's interesting actually and and this wasn't part of my reflection in preparing but they were very um lgbti um accepting not not affirming definitely not affirming but accepting like it, it wasn't a big issue there definitely were people in the congregation who weren't your normal um church going people in many ways um very alternative and if you remember at great big AG, you had to fit the mold they they didn't care they just were very accepting it was very different like that another thing that was absent was yelling during sermons like we we see how excited pentecostal ministers get when they speak and they talk about the excitement of the lord that's right was- you, you've been working on your brian uh, houston uh, impression yeah. there that was pretty good i have to Did say you like that? Yeah, yeah. well it, it's Lean also financially <laughs> it, it's helped along by as we were discussing before we press record i had a very large and late night last night so i've got my morning morning brian voice <laughs> morning houston voice well good morning houston none of that none of that trying to hype up the space like there was no yelling um no raising of voices all that sort of stuff was so so, so sorry I, I don't mean to keep interjecting but how did they get rid of the demons then <laughs> but gently remember when you went to oh, yes, the, my anglican toronto yes yes that's it's the same thing they they asked them please <laughs> Excuse us, demons. Uh, do you mind if we borrow the hall? <laughs> <laughs> Could you leave? Okay, sure. But as long as you don't have an altar call. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Excuse me, Beazelbub. I'm just wondering if you uh, would mind leaving this soul. <laughs> and, and yeah, they did. They came back the next day. Yeah, with seven of their mates. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was good. And Succubus came back. So I, I told you, didn't I, that I once heard, no, it was you that told me that you heard someone say that the demon of uh, oral, oral sex, sex was called Succubus. And I yeah. just thought, that's just too convenient. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, just too convenient. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's it's true too. It's completely biblical. But it just it doesn't translate in Japanese, right? <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's It sounds like a... Pokemon or something like that. Oh, succubus. Um, <laughs> come out, anyway, succubus. Come on, come on, back to the best use of tongues. No counting of souls saved. You know how you always would hear at Inner Penty 
scene or even maybe even the Baptocostal. Because the Baptocostal church that had altar calls, didn't it? I, rem- I remember that. It yeah, pretty sure. Had. Maybe not as often, but from time to time, yeah, they definitely have altar calls. And I don't know that they sang Just As I Am. Do you remember they used to do that at Great Big AOG? <laughs> That's Every right. fucking altar call, Just As I Am. I think people went forward just to stop them singing that. That's that's all it was. Um, so, but this Baptist church didn't have those older calls to count the souls that were saved. There was never talk of, or oh, I led someone to the Lord this week or anything like that. There was nothing. wasn't there. Very refreshing. So a different, uh, different values, different goals, different, I mean, a whole different way of seeing things, really. They weren't looking to take over the world and Pentecostalise it. So, which which is happening, bringing newcomers or the unchurched? No, none of that. There was none of that manipulative use of the band. We've we've talked often about this, where you know you would bring in the slow music and you'd bring in really that emotion and draw that out of people. Um, also, if you wanted to hype people up, then the drums and the guitar would definitely pick up, and you would get a bit more tempo. None of that. The band was. Pretty cruisy, little bit Partridge family. Like it was very, very Baptist, very Baptist. Um, but good, you know, good quality music. Always good musos there. But there was there wasn't the use of the music. The word you're looking for there is manipulation. There wasn't a use of music to manipulate. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, none of that. It was a because you didn't need to if you weren't doing altar calls. If you weren't using the format of your service to draw in people then you didn't need that and it was only only when I was thinking about the other day you would quite often have two different people leading praise and worship as we've spoken about that praise was a little bit less spiritual worship was more spiritual but also you needed the gift of manipulation in worship a lot more (laughs) the gift of manipulation exactly right it's one of the spiritual gifts there wasn't that there was always the one person who led the fast and the slow songs and yeah, there was there wasn't importance put upon the slower songs. Uh, well, if they weren't using tongues, then it wasn't as important, was it? It's <laughs> not, you know, if you're not singing in the spirit, then it's just singing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. So some of those leaders, they weren't leaning in manipulatively. They weren't leaning in manipulatively. Probably not even financially. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Oh, I dare say they were. Uh, well, I dare say they were. Anyway, yeah, true. But I think one thing, and again, this is only in hindsight that I can see this, I wouldn't have thought it at the time, but there weren't those walls to being involved in how you shape your community. It was, to use a you know a word from today, it was very much about co-design. So there'd be lots of conversations, even at um, their AGM, how do we want next year to look? What do we want to do? Um, where do we want to commit our finances? And you were part of that. You were part of that planning. You were part of what your community looked like. Great big AOG, that that just wasn't even part of it. Like you were told what you had to do, when you had to do it. Here was the recipe. Stick to it. Never stray from it. I, I went to an AGM at Great Big AOG once, you know, resonating with what you're saying here. And I remember someone from the congregation put their hand up to ask a question at the AGM, which we were asked to attend because they need a certain amount of people to make it um, legitimate. Yeah. And senior pastor shut this person down and said, now's not the time for those sort of things. And it's like, and I remember even at the time thinking, whoa, yeah. here we are at an AGM. So, that, yeah, certainly there was no co-design. No, definitely 
Uh, do you remember, um, it took me quite a while to become a member of Great Big AG, like a formal card-carrying member, and I remember um, actually signing up my membership for it. And it wasn't, I think, till I went to Bible College that I did that. Yeah, I don't think they really encouraged it. They, you know, keep keep you all at a distance, I think. Yeah, you don't want that transparency, that's for sure. Definitely not. I remember not long after we got there, actually, and, and I know this is to do with numbers, like it was a smaller congregation, but we got a phone call from the senior minister, probably been there two weeks at this Baptist church. He goes, can I come out and see you? And generally, as you know, generally when a minister comes out and sees you from Penty church it's because you're in trouble and they're going to pull you up on something um or they want something from you yeah i've got a vision i've got a vision i want you to lean in (laughs) you fucker (laughs) you're just not gonna let it go are you i I took us there i I do apologize listeners i did open up the leaning in can of worms so i I still i'll try to put a lid on it but I, i don't think i can control this but he just came out to see how do we what do we want as to to be part of that community what do we want um from them what can they contribute to us there was definitely a conversation about how you want to be involved but i remember one thing i do remember is like how do you think you can contribute to us what's you know how do you want to be involved and i was i was so pentecostal still because i said oh i preach that's what i do um, um, preacher. I was training to be a pastor, um, and I, you know, I was I was trying to really talk myself up. I'd when I'd been on a mission trip, I'd preached overseas. I'd, I'd preached in prisons, all that sort of stuff, and I was telling him that. And I said, a youth group, you know, I've been to Bible college. He tolerated me. You could see he was just sitting there going, "Oh my God, I just don't give a shit about about this." But I just want your money. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was trying to to talk up my gifts, and he didn't he didn't care. Like he, it just wasn't. I don't think. What do you think he was hoping to hear when he said to you, "What can you contribute besides your tithe?" What what was he actually asking for? I, I think it was how we wanted to be involved there. Really, like, did we want to be part of a? They called them cell groups in the Baptists, not not home groups, so be part of a cell group. Um, I, I think it was that sort of thing. Um, as I said, though, the pulpit wasn't guarded because I remember him saying to me, oh, we'll, we'll have to get you to speak one Sunday. And uh, it would have been really silly of them to let me speak because I probably would have been still very Pentecostal and very judgmental, and it's not something that they they really encouraged. Did you on some level still were you still thinking oh i could be the assistant pastor here one day was that still going on a little bit no not really i'd, I'd left bible college by this time and was re-evaluating my life but i don't think i really wanted to become a, a full-time pastor i didn't know what i wanted to do when i grew up still don't but um yeah no definitely i, I don't remember thinking that anyway there was also like as this was around the time when because I'd left Great Big AG and the whole storm of bloody Toronto and Pensacola and everything going crazy, interestingly, there was absolutely none of that at the Baptist. There was not even a recognition of it 
they weren't involved in it. So it was it was something that they weren't even interested in really talking about. I remember bringing it up with a few people and they're like, oh, yeah, what is it? Never, never really seen it or experienced it. It wasn't something that they needed to express their faith. Very different. There was also very much a lack of that that turf guarding, you know, quite often in Pentecostalism, it's like you have to come to our church because, you know, we've got really cool stuff happening and you should be part of our youth group and you should be part. There wasn't that. There was people that I remember weren't there every Sunday, even though it was only morning, their commitment was just rubbish, not like ours. And they didn't they didn't come um, every Sunday and sometimes they'd talk about they'd gone to a friend's church or whatever and that just wasn't an issue. But you couldn't do that. A great big AAG. Not without you? permission. No, or if you were going to, I don't know, something like take youth alive back. Yes, yes, indeed. You know, listening to you, it just sounds like there was a lot less stress, a lot less pressure. You know, it just seemed like it was more about, you know, community and being there. And I mean, I'm sure it was still very evangelical. You wouldn't have stepped out into a, you know, in air quotes, progressive church at all. But it certainly no. wasn't about the performance. It wasn't about be all you can be for Jesus. And no, it definitely wasn't. That was just not just wasn't part of the mix. And it was very um, refreshing. It was very refreshing to not have to put in all that effort. To sometimes you had to fake it till you make you made it in the penty scene. Didn't have to do that here. So you could you could be yourself. Although I still had all of those penty traits and wanting to impress people and, you know, bring your gifts to the fore and all that sort of stuff. I think it was around this time that I got introduced to Philip Yancey. So it was a little bit more gentler even in the authors that they would be talking about and recommending and disappointment with God. It had come out in the 80s um, and this was around the mid-90s. So it was a book that... But at least you got there. Yeah, I did get there. But you would never um, be encouraged to read something like Disappointment with God at at that time. The, what, Victorious Believing Voice of Victory or something is what we would be reading. Yeah, that's right, and all about that denial. So I remember reading Disappointment with God, and and I remember thinking it was, it was brutally honest and raw and um, in comparison to what I'd read, but also those, what's so amazing about grace, you know. And so it was all part of that deconstructing, part of that healing that I didn't even know that I was doing at the time, but it gave me the space to be able to do that. Yeah, the, the language the language of deconstruction certainly wasn't there. But, you know, I, I reflect, Brian, on, on my journey, even within Great Big AOG, and I was certainly deconstructing it I would have called it learning or finding out or you know digging deeper into the word or whatever but really it was it was a deconstruction because it was sort of going hold on what's this what do we believe about this why do we believe that you know so I I can hear you so so this was more a safer space to be able to do that at least for the things that you needed and wanted to do at that stage yeah definitely and and I think in you know definitely through today's lens it was all part of the leaving Christianity as a whole and it was the first step into that because I was questioning what I believed anyway and I, I kept finding myself trying to reinforce my own beliefs by trying to get excited myself around um, what I believed and and hyping up internally uh, around what I believed because that was the penty way that you, you did things. And 
I guess, a pressure to be a successful Christian in Pentecostalism. That definitely wasn't the the push there. You didn't have to be a successful Christian. You could just be you. That elitism wasn't there. That that hard exterior that had built up over time as a fundy was still there and it was still difficult to let that stuff penetrate your life in it, I, I guess that you could be just you and you didn't have to be uh, a career Christian, um, a successful career Christian. So all that was really difficult to soak in at the time. Yeah, I was I was just thinking, you know, the old saying, you can take the boy out of Pentecostalism, but you can't necessarily take Pentecostalism out of the boy. So whilst it was a safe place, a, you know, safe container, as they say, mm-hmm. there wasn't, though, the freedom in you to actually take full advantage at least not yet. No, definitely not. That didn't come till later. We moved interstate after a couple of years at this Baptist church. And, and I remember from there, any any church that we tried out, because we tried out maybe three or four before we landed in one, I would always ask for their doctrinal statement. I would want to find out what they believed and... Um, it, it, it was interesting though, like there was, as I said, there was those walls, like you you still didn't feel in that time of you had free worship and, you know, it was pretty, it could be a pretty wild time at Great Big AOG when free worship came in, where the, the songs started to, to fade and tongues started to come, someone to deliver a word. It wasn't that and you, I, I remember struggling at the time and going, you know, is God pleased with the way that I'm worshipping and singing and and all that? Because I, I thought, surely, because I'd until this point, I had only been involved in Pentecostal churches. I had I'd become a Christian in a Pentecostal church, so this was still very very foreign for me. When I moved across, I was allergic to Pentecostalism, so I didn't want any of that. I I didn't want a bar of it. You know, I wanted just to sing some songs, you know, maybe close your eyes, but I certainly didn't even want to raise my hands. You know, I just was like, nah, don't want to know about it. Yeah, see, I think I wanted the old Pentecostalism back because it had been hijacked by the Toronto Blessing and Pensacola and all that happening at the time in the Pentecostal scene. That had just become a lot more wild and crazy and unpredictable, and I just wanted that predictability back, I think. I didn't get that predictability. Well, I did, but it was a ramped-down version of that, and I I wasn't quite sure that I was hitting the mark. So you wanted wanted four fast songs, three slow songs, and the third one has to be nice and slow because that's the one that you jump into tongues with and all that. Yeah, I wanted that recipe back. Yeah. You know, it is a liturgy. It's funny because it's not, you know, within Pentecostalism, it's just the way we do the meetings, but actually it's a liturgy. It's, you know, this is what happens at this point. We do this. And at that point we do this, we stand up, we sit down, we raise our hands, we visualize Jesus, you know, sitting on a throne, hallelujah, see buckler. It's a liturgy. It totally is. Oh, a hundred percent. But they call it free worship, of course. But you missed, you missed your liturgy. I did miss my liturgy to a certain degree. I mean, I got used to a, a new liturgy, which was certainly in the long run a hell of a lot nicer and and gentler and probably more, more authentic, I would imagine, too. But um, I did miss it at that time. So it was that transitional time, which was really, really difficult. But also the the God that was spoken about from the pulpit. It was there was those graceful messages, ones reminding us how to live well, 
at peace in our communities, not try and convert all your community, just live at peace, be part of your community. And I think the reflection of that was a, a far more merciful and kind God, not one that was waiting for you to, you know, to step out of line so he could punish you and chuck you into hell and give you a nipple cripple. Give you a nipple cripple. Is that what your God would do in hell, was it, would he? Well, sometimes it'd be a double and that would that was a purple nipple. Oh, can you can you remember those nipple cripples? They were just mean. But yeah, that's that's what God would do. The Pentecostal God would give you a nipple cripple, but the Baptist God would just be more gentle. You know, another thing I want to sort of resonate with you now and ask you about is sometimes in the Facebook group, for example, people want those that have, you know, recently stepped out of Pentecostalism or out of the AOG, ACC, Hillsong, CRC, LMNOP, to be atheists. Yep. You know, it's like, okay, you've left. Uh, it's now quarter past five, time to be an atheist. But what you're saying here is really for you, and look, this isn't necessarily a map for everyone, but for you, you needed a first step. Yep. And you needed, you know, people around you that were going to allow you to take that first step. And it would be really wrong. I think to, well, I don't know about wrong, but it certainly wouldn't work to have expected you to, you know, start reading Bart Ehrman and, you know, Rob Bell or whatever. You needed Philip Yancey and, you know, some slow songs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for me, and, and I've said this in my stories before, that I was a spiritual person well before introduction to church and because I was I didn't grow up in a church I didn't grow up in Pentecostalism or Christianity in any sort of way I came to that at 17 I, I guess I had a spiritual identity pre-church so I didn't have to give that up I didn't feel like I had to actually become unspiritual or say there was no God and and subscribe to atheism because that would not have been authentic for me anyway because I was never an atheist I was always spiritual in some sort of way so it, it wouldn't have been authentic so for, for my journey I had to make that gentler step off and it was definitely a it was stepping down off a cliff onto a ledge until eventually I stepped into a safer space but that was for now it was a couple of years there at this baptist church i think there was two years maybe two and a half years and then we decided to go traveling so what years what years were you at this uh this would have been church. i reckon late 95 through to uh, maybe actually yeah it, it was late 95 through to probably late 2007 yeah somewhere around about there so a couple of it was a couple of years there sorry you just said 95 to 2007 that's more than a couple of years sorry 95 to 1997 not 2007 we decided we were going to go traveling um we we're just going to travel around australia maybe for a year and we decided that we would buy a caravan, which wasn't really cool then. Like all the cool kids are getting caravans now and, and traveling. I was going to say, I don't think it's cool now, but go on. No, it is. A lot of people are. They're getting vans or caravans or whatever and, and taking off. That's because you're getting old. Uh, no, no, no. I'm talking about younger, younger people. In really? Younger people are doing this? In their 20s and stuff, oh. people, are, people are doing it, particularly post-COVID. Um, they're going, fuck it, I don't want to be constrained. Yeah, can't get to Fiji. I'm not on Brian's money. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, this is true. But we we announced to the church we were, we were going to go off and travel and somehow 
this got misinterpreted that we were going off to be missionaries. So we, on a Sunday, they were saying farewell to us and going, you know, have have a great uh, next 12 months. But the missions people ended up coming up and praying for us and then sending us out. We were being sent out and on a mission. So we had no intent. We were going to do a working holiday. So it was really quite bizarre. But we did. And from there, we, we did travel and we ended up landing interstate where we live for the next 11 years. But uh, They obviously didn't know you very well at all to think that you were going out to share your faith at all. Oh, it was bizarre. and But also... I didn't really even know that this missions group existed. There, there was definitely quite a few missionaries connected to that church that lived in, um, one in Vanuatu, really tough gig. Um, Vanuatu, there was Papua New Guinea. So we, we definitely did support those missionaries and there was a, a core group there, but that was the only thing. I never thought that it was about going out to share your faith with other communities because, as I said before, that wasn't really a part of what they did. Yeah, the Baptist unions in Australia are big on the missions into the islands and Papua New Guinea. And my brother's ex-wife, she was a missionary's kid, you know, Baptist from, from Papua New Guinea. It was a big deal. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and it was fascinating. Like it was, I don't think that they were definitely there to convert the communities. I mean, that was very much part of their drive, but they also were there to support these communities and help develop them and get them out of, of poverty and stuff as well. But we certainly weren't going off to be bloody missionaries. That wasn't happening. I don't know where that came from. But uh, even our closest friends during that time within that that church, it was they were like, what the fuck? This, this isn't what you're doing. You guys are going off to travel. And travel we did. And and I think you know, I won't. I won't go into it. But we spent six months on the road, doing a bit of a work working holiday. Um, definitely more holiday than work. And we really interestingly, every time we'd stop places for a couple of weeks. Quite often we'd go to a church on a Sunday because it was a, it was an easy one stop shop. You could go in and you catch up with people, feel at home straight away. But we'd always go to a Pentecostal church. Like we'd seek out Christian city churches, um, AOG churches, and we'd go along to them for a Sunday, particularly if we were in a community for a couple of weeks and we wanted to, I guess, to fit into a community really quickly. And, so why and, were you doing that, Ned? I mean, you, you'd, you'd I had know. the shits with them and you'd walked away. You were going to a Baptist church. Yet as soon as you went travelling, this is the, the four-song, three-song sleep buckler desire. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It was really sort of strange. Sort of safe because you're at a, at a bit of a distance. You're not going to stay. You're going to take off, sort of have your cake and not have to eat it. Yeah, I, I really don't know. Um, even now when I reflect on it, I think it was just a safety thing. It was what we knew and we knew Baptist churches, you didn't know what you were going to get because you could go in and it could be a Bapticostal or it could be a conservative, conservative Baptist or whatever. I mean, the next church we actually ended up when we moved into state properly and ended up staying in that place 11 years was a Church of Christ. And it was very, very different cafe church type style and a lot of a, a definitely even more gentle than the, the Baptist church we'd gone to. So it was, and a lot more free thinking. It was, it was very, very different. So how was your wife 
feeling about all this? Like what was her journey? Because you were journeying together. You're saying we a lot. Yeah. Yeah, tell me about her. Similar. Like it was a similar journey, I think, at that time. Um, she had been quite damaged by the Penty space. As I've said before, she was very arty, alternative, and um, studied at a, a well-known arts college and she didn't hadn't really fit properly so for her it was a, an exploratory time as well and her concept of god was very different her short relatively short time in great big aog like three four years there had probably shaped her but hadn't shaped her from the start because she always had that foundation of being from uniting church and a, a bit more universal i think in its approach but um Definitely the same. Like I think we're, we're just trying to find where we fit. We just had no idea where we fit, which is evident by going to a Baptist church and then visiting AOG and CCC churches as we were travelling, which, you know, the people were always lovely and inviting, and that's why I think we, we gravitated to it because it was it was easy. We knew that system and we knew how to use the system for our advantage in some sort of way to to get that. I guess that community feeling when you need it. When you're traveling, you're, you're meeting a hell of a lot of people, but it's very, it's transient. Like you. It's very surface, very shallow. It is, yeah. And I think you could get a little bit deeper with people um, within a faith community if you spoke that lingo, you knew the system. So you would go back. It was a bit like a drug. Like if we would go back for it and we'd get a hit. We did, when we, when we uh, landed in this, where we lived, um, it was uh, it was a town of around about a hundred thousand people, and we did actually try two Pentecostal churches when we landed there. Interestingly, and we we went to one and we started going there for a few weeks, and then they had this speaker who came along one week, and he was an Aussie guy. I can't remember his name. I wish I could. But he was a little bit of a, a cowboy um, in the way that he dressed and he spoke. And I'm pretty sure he came from like Western New South Wales or Queensland or something like that. And he... The hat made of kangaroo ass or something, was he? <laughs> yeah, I think it was. It was similar to that. But he... It wasn't Mad Dog Mudford, was it? No, no. It was... This, it was an this old guy, Yeah, no, I remember... Kevin Mumford carried his cross up the, the highway. I think he walked like a thousand Ks pulling a cross on wheels or something, mad dog. Yeah, as you do. As you do. As a matter of fact, that's what I got planned for the afternoon. That's how I'm gonna get my car <laughs> up. <laughs> Except I'm like gonna that. carry it upside down. <laughs> it's it's the new version of CrossFit. Oh, good one. Yes. Uh, good one, uh, dad joke. <laughs> yeah, <like that. laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. But keep going. No, fuck you. <laughs> But it, we we had become part of it, and it was a it, they knew all the players of Great Big AOG, and and I think it, we'd gravitated back a little bit. We'd started going to a home group. We'd probably been there four or six weeks when this speaker came, and this guy ran like a you know a sort of like revival meetings almost, and he he one night asked for an offering and he was really drumming it up and he'd been doing it. You could see he'd been building up to it and they had a bucket out the front, just like your normal bucket, 10-litre bucket you filled with water. He goes, I want to see that full by the time that we're finished tonight. 
and he wanted you to lean in financially. Oh, mate, I was fuming, absolutely fuming. And he said, I've been to churches where we get a 44-gallon drum and we fill it with cash before I leave. He goes, so, you know, you can do the bucket. And I was, mate, I was fuming. And then he said, everybody who's contributing, I want you to stand up and I want to see every person here standing up. And I um, refused to stand up. My ex-wife, she was fuming as well. So we we were the only two in, I don't know, 150 people remain firmly. Because you were Baptists. That's why. In <laughs> yeah. your heart of hearts, you uh, were Baptists. We, we'd converted. But um, we stayed sitting down. He kept coming up the aisle next to us and just staring at us. I just stared him out. I was absolutely fuming with him. And we... Was this was this an AOG? Uh, it's an AOG. Of yeah. course it fucking was. <laughs> what a stupid question, Troy. Uh, we, we never went back. And we had the home group leader and the pastor ringing us and I was brutally honest with them and uh, about my thoughts on that and the pastor was like oh it's not usually like this and we don't we don't like this sort of thing and I said you should have fucking ripped him off the pulpit at that time I said that was an absolute disgrace anyway that was it that was my very last seeking to be part of the Pentecostal community that that was it that did it for me so coming back to, you know, the fact that you're now attending a, a Baptist church or even, you know, after that, a church of Christ, you are obviously still wanting to meet your spiritual needs, etc. But mm. was there a grieving for what you had lost or do you think you just put it out of your mind? And the same goes for your wife. I mean, not that you can speak for her, but at least the way you saw it back then. I don't think there was a grieving after that last Pentecostal AOG experience that I just spoke about, uh, that was it. That was the nail in the coffin for me. I, I never wanted anything to do with Pentecostalism again. We had tried to go back to that safe place. We, we'd actually, in the six months of travelling, we'd probably visited maybe eight or ten Pente churches on the way, but towards the end of our journey, we'd travelled 10,000 Ks and towards the end of our journey, probably the last six to eight weeks, we hadn't been to any churches at all. So I'd, I definitely had a break from it. And it's, that's probably why I'd forgotten what it was truly like. And that's why we did seek an AOG community when we got up there. But there wasn't a, a grieving of Pentecostalism. I think there was a it was the community stuff. Again, for me, it was all about community. It was all about feeling wanted, needed, safe, and knowing that people were going to be walking with you while you went through shit. I mean, it wasn't a perfect walk and it was one that was often judgmental, but you knew it and you knew how to talk the talk. But the picture that you paint of this Baptist church was much more like that, was was yep. much more community-minded, etc. I just find it interesting. And look, I can understand, I'm not sitting in judgment, but I, I just find it interesting that you didn't look for that when you went traveling, you actually just went with what you knew. And I guess what maybe we're hoping that maybe the great big AOG was an aberration and the rest of them are better. Yeah, potentially. I, I really don't know what was behind it except seeking that 
you know, the consistency, that recipe that you knew was there. And, you know, it had been a, a good time in my life, um, a lot of Pentecostalism. Interestingly, as a side issue, I don't think we ever saw any Toronto-type activity at any of those Pente churches that we visited. So that that was interesting, that that was something that wasn't necessarily spreading across other ones. So anyway, we, we have gone around a little bit and jumped bits and pieces forward and backwards, but um, I guess it was just those reflections that I wanted to, to tap into and it's all part of the journey, isn't it? It is. And like I said, letting people resonate with, you know, oh, that's what I went through or, oh, that's what I'm going through now, I think is is really, really good. And also validating people that, you know, we, whilst we don't have a Christian faith, we don't for one minute poo-poo the idea of stepping out of Pentecostalism into another form of evangelicalism, you know, hopefully more moderate. But, um, you know, that's, that's exactly what both you and I did. So, you know, more power to you on your journey. Yes, yes. It was. Look, it was good. It was a good couple of years there, and I think it was a healing time. It was a time of um, was time of reflection, but I don't think there was a great deal of deep reflection during that time. It was more so just a, a time of healing. It's the deeper reflection came many many years later, like it often does. Yeah, and that's okay because you know you can only do what you're able to do. I think what happens in sort of, you know, the the ex-Pentecostal, ex-evangelical scene is that you start to be confronted or presented with the idea of deconstruction and people will come and start calling things out and you can get into that sort of discussion and environment, et cetera. But that's not for everyone, especially not right away. And so I think, yeah. you know, that that stage that you went through, I think was important. It was It was crucial. I mean, it may have been a little bit faster it may have been a little bit better had you had a mentor or someone speaking to you but but that's okay right yeah that's right and that, look i'm not even sure i would have known what to speak about or how to process it at the time so the way i did it seemed to work and it was certainly helped me step off the ledge but i did get back up onto that ledge a couple of times as i've said but in the long run we cast it away yeah fair enough well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that story. And uh, how, how does that make you feel? It makes me feel good. I, I have no uh, trauma that I recognise through telling that story because I think there wasn't a time of trauma except for that Mr. 44-gallon drum Philip with cash motherfucker. But besides that, um, you know, rest, the rest of it was just an, an interesting time uh, and a time I think just learnt a lot, just learnt a lot about ourselves. I mean, we were also travelling, we were away from family, so you, you learn to, I guess, stand on your own two feet a bit more and you learn to be a bit, bit more independent. So at that time, time we were being more independent as well as uh, exploring the new who we wanted to be and we had the opportunity to do that and recast ourselves move, moving to another state. So. There you go. It's done. Very good. Very good. It is finished. It is finished. Say. So, mate, that's it for this week then, I guess. Next week we've got El Hardy coming in to talk to us about her book, That Beyond Belief, How Pentecostalism is Trying to Take Over the World. It's going to be a good chat. Yeah, it's going to be a very good chat. I think she's got a, real, a lot of really good things to say. I think what's going to be interesting about this interview, for people that have listened to her in other interviews already, we're going to come at it from an Australian Pentecostal perspective. We're going to come at it from a 
perspective of knowing about Pentecostalism. So I think this interview is going to be very different to maybe some of the other El Hardy interviews that you've heard, and God knows I've heard a few. Yeah, there's plenty out there, that's for sure. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to that chat. That is going to be a goodie. And if you haven't got that book already, definitely go out and get it, particularly if you're not really aware of the roots of the Pentecostal movement. It is fascinating, but also through currently what is happening across the world. It is both interesting and slightly frightening. All right, well, I'm going to cue the music. All right, I shall see you next week. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. Catch you next week, my friend. Bye. Bye.